Hey, this is Steve. This podcast is all about making the gospel relevant to your life. That means discovering the good news of Jesus, no matter what you're going through today. This month, we're dealing with how our biblical worldview intersects our culture at critical junction points. And today, I'm talking about the very difficult topic of abortion. How should we think about this topic And how does Jesus want to deal with people who have gone through it? Today, we're continuing this message series called Superstructure that we started back in August. The whole goal of this series is to kind of lay down a biblical worldview for us to really think like God thinks about who we are and why we're here. That's what we've been talking about since August. And so we've been kind of building this worldview and and looking at um, what we're supposed to, how we're supposed to think as Christians, as Bible-believing Christians, how God informs our thought process. And now that we're in October, we've got to talk about how our biblical worldview intersects some current hot button issues. We just gotta talk about it, we cannot remain silent. I've been saying since the beginning of the year that our culture is circling the drain, right? It's going down fast and our problem is that we Christians have been all too content to just float along with the rest of the culture. Right, we've been just too content to float right along and head toward that drain fast. And my contention this year is that we've got to stop. We've got to stop and we've got to take a stand and we've got to look at the world and say, we can no longer go where you're going. We can no longer be who you are becoming. We must take a stand. And, and Jesus told us that the storm would come. There's going to be a storm as a result of the stand that we're taking. And so he said that the storm is coming, but the way to weather the storm is to build your house, right? It's to build your house. It's not to get ready for a fight. It's to build your house, build it strong and solid so that it will stand through the storm. And the whole idea of this particular message series uh, has been the idea that the materials that you use to build with will determine the value and the quality of your house, right? The materials that you build with will determine how good your house is. And so that's why we're doing this series is we're doing this series so that we can make sure we're building with the right materials in 1 Corinthians 3. The word says no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, and that's Jesus Christ. And anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. I want you to have a house that stands through the storm and stands through the judgment. And so that's what this is all about. That's why we're talking about this. We're not trying to pick a fight. We're not trying to, you know, be political. I just want you to build your house and I want you to be able to stand. 
And that's why we're talking about how our worldview intersects with these hot button issues. Roe versus Wade was the law of the land for years and years in this country, but the Dobbs decision that just came down earlier this year has kind of relit that firestorm under the issue of abortion. It's been in the headlines. It's changing the way people are thinking, uh, and it's really kind of causing a lot of controversy in our culture today. So we got to talk about this, right? We got to talk about it. So I hope that today we can just kind of, we can kind of look at how God sees this issue himself. We can look at what scripture says about it, and we can really just kind of look back at what we've been saying for the last several weeks. But it seems like, it seems like um, Christians are divided on this issue. It seems like you can find churches uh, that are super strong pro-life and you can find churches that are super strong pro-choice. Seems like there's a division there and I don't, frankly, I don't understand how you can read God's word and be confused about this. I don't know how you can not stand for life. And I think that one of the problems is that the other side of this issue has really been successful at hijacking our own terminology. They've kind of hijacked the word of God itself and they've manipulated it to make the case that they want it to make rather than the case that it does make, right? I don't know if you have done any research on this or looked into it at all, but I read an article uh, just a couple of weeks ago in a very, very prominent liberal website where the author is a seminary professor. And he says, he makes the case that the Old Testament takes a positive stand toward abortion. And he shows, he cites several examples of abortion in the Old Testament. What, did you, did you think abortion was some kind of new technological thing? It's been around from the beginning of human history. So he cites these examples that are legitimately in the Old Testament. And he basically, his conclusion is because it's in the Bible, God must be good with it. Does that make sense? I mean, let's just be honest. There's a lot of junk in the Old Testament, right? There's a lot of junk in the New Testament. The Bible's full of stuff about us because the Bible is a divine book. It's about God, but it's also a human book about us. And the Bible is full of stuff in there that it acknowledges, that it talks about. There's not just abortion, there's rape and incest. The sex trade is in there, murder, lying, cheating. I mean, uh, there's all kinds of bad junk in the Old Testament, but just because it's in there doesn't mean God's good with it. The Old Testament and the New Testament, they acknowledge these things, but the scripture never encourages them. Just because it's there doesn't mean God is saying, this is what I'm for. I'm pretty sure he wasn't okay with David cheating um, and uh, with another man's wife. Pretty sure he's not okay with a lot of the junk that you find in there. Just because it's there doesn't mean God is for it. So they hijack it, they hijack it, and they twist it, and they try to confuse you. I watched a video a few days ago of Stacy Abrams. And she was speaking at a church right down the road in Woodstock. 
and she's talking to this church, this large church in Woodstock, and she is making an impassioned and articulate argument for abortion in the church. And she makes the statement, she says that if you believe in the Georgia heartbeat bill, that's the bill that says that abortions in Georgia are illegal once the heartbeat is detected in an unborn child. She says, if you believe in the, uh, the, uh, the Georgia heartbeat bill, you've either failed morality or you failed biology because it doesn't make any sense. And she says that she, is, she was raised uh, by two pastors. Her mom and dad were both pastors and that she was taught to read and understand the Bible. And so she says to this church uh, that God's word is very clear that he is pro-women and that anybody that believes in abortion being illegal is telling women that they're second-class citizens and trying to dictate what women do with their own bodies and she says we cannot allow that and the church gave her a thunderous standing ovation right down in Woodstock just right down the road from us here so the other side is always arguing that Christians and people who are pro-life, anti-abortion, uh, they hate women and we're telling women what to do with their own bodies. The problem with this argument just happens to be that science itself disagrees with that assessment. Science itself does not agree with that assessment. It's gotta be clear, we all know that there's two different kinds of scientists. There's activist scientists and there's unbiased scientists, right? Do we see that anywhere else? Do we see it in the news media? There's activist journalists and then there's unbiased journalists. Okay, mostly just activists, but all in their own you know, vein. So there's activist science and there is unbiased science. Activist scientists are really good at the same tool. They're good at hijacking language and manipulating how you think by using the right terminology. So they're really good at describing an unborn baby as a fetus, an embryo, a zygote, right? I mean, they're, they're really good at, at renaming it into something that's very sterile, very scientific. They, they want to do this, it's part of their agenda. Why? Because when they rename it something else, they dehumanize that child. And when you dehumanize someone, you make it much, much easier to do away with them. That's how they did it in Nazi Germany, right? In the 30s and 40s, they dehumanized all of the Jews. They called them rats, they called them dogs, they even called them worms, anything but human beings. And they convinced an entire country that they should all be rounded up and dealt with. So of course they want to dehumanize those unborn babies. But unbiased science tells a very different story. It tells a very different story that that, that 
is not just some tissue inside the mom. It's not just some kind of some kind of bizarre thing that's going on in there, but that that child, unbiased science says that that child is a completely different individual. Unbiased science says that at the moment of conception, all of the DNA that defines who that child is going to be is present and active. At the moment of conception, there's an entirely new DNA set that is created right then. And that child no longer shares the DNA of the mom, does not share the DNA of the dad, but becomes its own person at the moment of conception. Unbiased science tells us that that child has its own heartbeat that is detectable at two weeks along in the process. Now, it's so tiny and so faint that you can't hear it on a sonogram until a little bit later, usually six or seven weeks, depending on your equipment. Thus, the heartbeat bill in the state of Georgia but there is a heartbeat going on. Uh, there is early, early, early on, there is its own uh, blood system, its own immune system. It's developing its own characteristics. Uh, at the moment of birth, everything is defined about that person, hair color, eye color, skin type, all the things that determine who you are are present at the moment of conception. And unbiased science will tell you that at no time during a pregnancy does a woman have four arms and four legs, right? That woman doesn't have four arms, four legs. These are two completely separate individuals right here. That's what unbiased science tells us. Science simply doesn't agree with their assessment. This is not the woman's body. This is the body of a completely different individual. Even prominent atheist pro-abortion thinker, Christopher Hitchens, very well-known um, atheist thought leader, he wrote before he passed away in his book, God is Not Great. He wrote this. He says, as a materialist, I think it's been demonstrated that an embryo is a separate body and entity and not merely, as some really did used to argue, a growth on or in the female body. There used to be feminists who would say that it was more like an appendix or even, and this was seriously maintained, a tumor. That nonsense, he writes, seems to have stopped. Embryology confirms morality. The words unborn child, even when used in a politicized manner, describe a material reality. So even this very, very well-known atheist abortionist, he even acknowledged that that child is a child, not just a mass of tissue. All this to say, the first blank on your page, at the moment of conception, at the moment of conception, a new human begins. At the moment of conception, there is a new life. Now, because of this, we've got to look at this issue through a theological lens. This can not simply be a political issue. It can't just live with Democrats or Republicans. We've got to look at this issue through God's eyes. 
So what does my biblical worldview inform me about this? We've talked extensively about this in the last few weeks. And so I'm just really going to point back to what we said. I'm going to point back to what God says. God says that human life is like no other life. God says that human beings are like no other creature. And in Genesis 1, we see God making this statement. He says, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. How are they going to be like? One of the ways they're going to be like God is they will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, and all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. Let's make man in our image. He will represent us. He will be like us. He will will act on my behalf, ruling over all of the rest of the world. He sees man as unique in his own image. So he goes on, and it says, God created humanity human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So God says something very unique about the humans. He says that they are in his image, that they have a responsibility in this world like no other. He doesn't say that about any other creature. He doesn't say it about lions and tigers and bears. I knew, I knew you would say that. (laughs) He doesn't say it about anything else, but human beings are unique in God's eyes, made in the very image of God. Look at your neighbor, look at your neighbor. You're looking at the image of God. You can see a little bit of God in the person next to you. I've got one wife shaking her head saying, not the one next to me. (laughs) I know, Betsy, I'm just joking with you. (laughs) We're made in God's very image. This is nothing to take lightly. David recognized this. And he writes in Psalm 139, he says, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. I like that phrase, knit me together in my mother's womb. You ever watch somebody knit? Does anybody here knit? Who knits? Betsy, thank you, Betsy. Anybody? Okay, so we've got three knitters in the room. So I I don't knit, I don't, but I've watched when someone's knitting, man, they are, they've got a plan and a purpose you know, they're going to town on this thing, and it's a complex thing. I don't even know how it all works, but it's a complex thing that you got to pay attention to. you got to be focused on because you have an end goal in mind. You're making something beautiful that expresses yourself in some way, whether it's a gift or something you're putting in your house, whatever it is, you're meticulously working this beautiful creation. David says, you knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. He goes on and he says, you watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion. As I was woven together in the dark of the womb, you saw me before I was born. 
Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. The Old Testament is very clear. I want you to hear me on this. The Old Testament's very clear that every human being has unimaginable value and dignity in the eyes of God. In other words, baby lives matter. Come on, every human being has value and dignity in God's eyes. And that's just the Old Testament. The gospel takes this even farther, right? The gospel makes it very clear to us that every person is a beautifully designed, purpose-filled creation of God himself. But that the reality is every person is unfortunately born into a DNA line of sinners a DNA line of criminals against God, a DNA line of a treasonous family that has stood to accuse God, that every single heart beat, because it is a heartbeat of treason, every single heartbeat is a guilty, wrath-bringing heartbeat that before any human even takes their very first breath, they're already guilty in the sight of God because of the rebellious nature of human beings. He is holy and we are filthy. And that's who we are before him. Our, our sin has ruined us. We're made in the beautiful image of God, yet we're horribly broken and disfigured by the sin that we carry. But Ephesians tells us this, that even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. He knows your sin. He knows that you and I, in our lives, we stand with the accuser to accuse God of not worthy of being God, yet he chose to send his son, Jesus, to go to the cross and to take all the blame for everything you'd ever done, all of, the, all of the guilt for every sin you'd ever committed, and Jesus pays the price on the cross for your sin and for my sin. He became sin so that you and I could become clean. He dies in our place, taking our punishment on the cross, dead until three days later, he rose again to prove that his sacrifice was worthy to his father. And today he lives in and through us, extending his abundant life in and through us today. Aren't you glad about that? Aren't you happy that that's who you are now? He's in the process of redeeming and restoring that image of God in you and in me. 
right? You were broken, but now you are becoming more and more and more like your heavenly father who designed you and created you, knitting you together in your mother's womb. This is amazing grace. This shows how amazingly, uncomprehendably lovable God is towards us, how much he loves us, how much he cares for us. This shows God's unfathomable selflessness that he would sacrifice his own son so that you, a criminal, could have life. And this is why Abortion is so against the character and the nature of God. In fact, next blank on your page, abortion is the ultimate selfish act. It's the opposite of who God is. Abortion is the ultimate selfish act. Here's what abortion says. Abortion says, I don't see you as a person. Right, abortion says, I don't have a place for you in my life. Abortion says, I choose to end your life in order to preserve my lifestyle. See how selfish that is? But the gospel is the opposite. The gospel says, I do see you. You are an image bearer of God. The gospel says, I go to prepare a place for you. The gospel says, I choose to lay down my life so that you can experience life to the full. Do you see how diametrically opposed these two things are? In fact, next blank on your page, abortion is the opposite of the gospel. Abortion is the opposite of the gospel. We're called to obey Jesus by loving God and loving others. And how, how can you possibly choose to end the life of an unborn child and call yourself a lover of people? The Dobbs decision was a great step in this ongoing battle, but the war still rages on. It's not over yet. We must stop this because abortion creates suffering, right? Not only does it destroy the life of the unborn child, but let me just, let me just pull the veil back. Abortion destroys the soul of the parents, it completely corrupts the soul. It gives you shame and pain and guilt and sorrow. It does all of the things that destroy your soul. We've got to stay. If we love people, babies and adults, we've got to stop this. I thought it would be best if you heard from some people that have been through it themselves. So just take a listen to a testimony from someone who's walked through it on her own. Hi there, I'm Tawana Amen, and I'm the executive director of Broward County Right to Life. I wanna share my testimony with you. I was invited to a Bible study when I was 12 years old, and that's where I accepted Jesus Christ as my savior. I wanted to live for him, but I got into a cycle of unhealthy relationships. I was 18 when I found out that I was pregnant. Initially, I wanted the baby. I was so excited to be a mom. 
I went to share my good news with someone that was extremely close to me. She sat me down and gave me a dose of reality. You are too young, too immature, and what will people think? You aren't ready for a baby. Who'll pay for the diapers and the formula? One day you'll go on and have more kids. By the time she was done with me, I was petrified. She's right, how can I have a baby? She took me and paid for it. Denial is a powerful thing. You tell yourself it's for the best, and you keep pushing down those sad, painful feelings. But God was at work. He is faithful. Even when we are faithless, he had a plan. It was several years later that he started drawing me back to himself. I started reading the scriptures. I started seeking him. I wanted to live a life of obedience. He was helping me break free of my cycle of unhealthy relationships. I remember listening to a radio broadcast that talked about abortion. I sat there in shock. It explained what happens to the baby during an abortion, the risks and complications that women can suffer, and the development of the unborn child. I broke down. I wept, and I wept. How could I have done such a thing? I lost a child. The veil had been lifted. My eyes were open to the truth, and my heart broke. God brought me a woman who helped me understand his love, mercy, and forgiveness. He died on the cross for all of my sins, and that includes the sin of abortion. I knew I was forgiven. I knew he promised to never leave me or forsake me. I was encouraged to go to the local pregnancy center to go through a post-abortion Bible study. It really helped me with the healing process. I signed up for children's ministry. I was a Sunday school teacher. But I never lost that desire to one day have a child that I could hold. I met my husband who was and is the president of a local pro-life group. God is working. We were married and shortly after pregnant. Now I'm going to have the family that I'd always dreamed of. But at 21 and a half weeks into my pregnancy, tragedy struck. I went into preterm labor and we had a baby boy who we named David Nathan. He lived three hours and then he passed away. I was devastated. Why? What happened? I don't understand. My arms ached. I just couldn't wrap my mind around the loss. I was trying to make sense of it all. I began reading a lot of pro-life material. There were studies of women who have suffered emotionally and physically after their abortion. Could that be what happened to me? I had to find out. I went back to the abor abortion facility to get my file. I was heartbroken when I read what had been written. The abortionist said he explained all the risks and complications, the development of the unborn baby, even the psychological damage that might occur to me. I didn't even talk to the abortionist. That was not true. No one explained anything to me. All I did was sign a release form. I have talked to so many women who have said the same thing. They were never given any information. They were not given the truth. I shared with a few people what I had gone through. Right about that time, I was called to share my post-abortion testimony. I couldn't believe it. God was opening the door for me to share what I had gone through, that I didn't understand, that the abortionist didn't tell me that the moment of a conception, the eye color, hair color, all the DNA that spells out what that child will become is there. This is a human being, a child created in God's image and likeness. I became the executive director. God was leading me to help women understand what happens during an abortion, how much regret and sadness there is, 
how life is so precious and valuable and that every life matters no matter what the circumstances are. I was also helping women understand God's forgiveness after their abortion. I wanted them to understand the freedom that God offers through a relationship with Jesus Christ. A woman came up to me after I spoke at a local church. She said, you probably don't remember me, but you counseled me 16 years ago and I kept my baby. I wanna introduce her to you. We hugged and it was glorious. I'm so grateful to God for taking the worst thing I've ever done and using it to minister to others. Life is sacred. Abortion isn't an option. It shouldn't be an option. If you find yourself in an unplanned pregnancy, know that God will see you through. There are people that can help you. You are not alone. And if you've had an abortion, there is hope and healing. You can make peace with it. I know, praise God, I did. Thank you and God bless you. Hi, good morning. I'm Dana, and this is my husband, Mike, and I want to share my story with you this morning. Please bear with me. Um, today is the first day I'm publicly sharing my story, but it's important that people understand the aftermath of abortion. As a little girl and then a young woman, I always believed in God, though I remember I never fully understood everything I was taught in church. My young mind just didn't seem to grasp it all. I knew God required my reverence, I learned to confess my wrongdoings, and I prayed some, especially in times of trouble. But abortion brought the worst trouble into my life I had ever known, and I couldn't see any way to possibly set things right with God. At the age of 19, I was faced with an unplanned pregnancy, and due to difficult circumstances in my life at the time, I felt alone and overwhelmed with fear and desperation. In my despair, I was unable to see God's truth about my baby that although getting pregnant was not my plan, my baby was planned by God, and she had a destiny and a purpose for her life. Instead, I listened to the whispered deceptions of the enemy that having an abortion was my only option, that it really wasn't a baby yet, it was just a clump of tissue, that I could have the abortion and it would be as if I was never pregnant, no one ever needed to know, and then I could move forward with life and pursue my dreams. What the deceiver intentionally failed to tell me was how afterwards I would never be the same. How almost instantaneously I would realize it was all lies and that I had actually taken the life of my own child. How the guilt would be unbearable and how because of my frail and fragile faith, I believed God would no longer love me and that I would never be worthy of his forgiveness. Afterwards, I tried to pretend as though my abortion never happened, but the feelings of pain, sadness, shame, and regret consumed me. I felt I needed to grieve my baby in order to process the loss, but I was ashamed, and I felt any grief on my part was undeserved and unjustified. Out of the need to function and move on in life, I ended up repressing all of those painful emotions and shut them away within the deepest part of my being. I was able to move on with life, and for several years, life was good. I became a wife and a mother, and I even fulfilled my dream of becoming a nurse. But soon, my abortion and the intense pain associated with it resurfaced, and I started exhibiting symptoms of post-abortion syndrome. For years, I struggled with depression and anxiety. 
I would have flashbacks of the details of my actual abortion procedure and recurrent nightmares involving babies who were in pain and dismembered. But just like my abortion, out of shame, I didn't let anyone know what I was going through. Instead, I suffered in silence. And as a result, turned to alcohol and began to drink heavily to numb my pain. My life continued this way for more than 10 years until I finally could not deal with things any longer. And in my brokenness, I poured out my heart to Jesus, and he in turn handed it right back to me whole and mended, forever accepted and forever loved. It is only through Jesus' redeeming love, grace, and forgiveness that I am able to stand up here this morning and share my story with you. I am an example that when an abortion in your past has stopped you from living in peace and wholeness and crippled your sense of spiritual freedom, Jesus reaches out with abundant love and mercy to stir us and move us forward. He helps to pick up right where we are and begin life anew. For years after receiving my salvation, although I knew I was fully forgiven by the blood Jesus shed for me, I had difficulty walking in his forgiveness. I still struggled with the enemy's lies that I was undeserving. Thankfully, through a friend, I found out about a post-abortion recovery retreat and eventually got up the nerve to attend. It was a four-day private retreat where myself and a small intimate group of post-abortion post-abortive women were led through the Surrendering the Secret post-abortion Bible study. The study was led by three very kind and very loving women who all had abortions in their past. I was terrified at first, but I knew in my heart I was right where Jesus wanted me to be, and his amazing healing power worked in me and through me in ways that I could never imagine. He showed me how I was forgiven by his grace from the very first day that I asked for it, but how I was unable to receive it because I had not yet forgiven myself. He gave me a safe place to share my secret, to rip off the band-aid and to dig deep into the wound. I also found great peace and comfort in knowing that I was not alone. There were other women just like me, and together we truly began to come out of the darkness and walk in the power of God's truth. The journey was not easy, but it was so worth it. It gave me freedom from my past mistake and renewed a sense of hope and purpose for the future. It was the most incredible and intense spiritual experience I've ever had. I now run a pregnancy resource center in Blairsville where I get to share Jesus' love and truth with young abortion-minded women every day. I let them know and see through ultrasound that they are carrying a baby with a heartbeat and not just a clump of tissue. I share with them the years of pain, grief, and destruction the choice of abortion brings. I share with them the selfless option of choosing life and adoption rather than ending their baby's life. I am also now certified by Surrendering the Secret as a Bible study leader, helping women heal the heartbreak of their abortions. If you are a post-abortive woman sitting here today feeling hopeless about ever resolving the pain associated with your abortion, just know Jesus is as close as the air you breathe waiting to hear and answer your whispered cries for help. You are not alone, and know that your abortion doesn't have to be your story. Instead, it can be the redemption and forgiveness you receive through the loving grace of Jesus Christ. And we are reminded of this in Ephesians 1-7 that says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. 
If there's anyone here today, man or woman, who's been directly affected by abortion in some way and would like to receive information about the Bible study, you can see me after the service outside or reach out to the church office for my contact information. Thank you. Did you hear it? In both these testimonies, Dana, thank you so much. Thank you so much for sharing. There's pain, but there is restoration. You know, one of the knocks on pro-lifers is that we hate women. But I've had the chance this week to sit with Dana, and I've had the chance to go visit the pregnancy center in Jasper. And the one thing that I've been overwhelmed with is the crazy, insane amount of love and compassion and resourcing and education that these centers that Dana provides for people that have gone through this, for women that have gone through this. You know, I listened to Pat down there at the Jasper Pregnancy, Pregnancy Center, and she said, you know, of course, we beg and plead with women to not choose abortion, but even if they do, we're here for them. We're here for them. And I was amazed when I looked at all of the list of resourcing and, and things that they have for women. There is just incredible amounts of care, not to mention the Bible study that Dana does. And I just think it's amazing. So I asked uh, if we could have some representation from uh, the pregnancy center in Jasper. And if, if Dana would please be available after the service right outside this door. We just want to make resources and connections available to you. So that if you've dealt with this in your life or if you've got someone that's thinking about this in their life, that you can come right here and get some real connections and get some real help about this. We did not want to just talk about it and send you on your way. We really wanted you to have this availability. And I know, I know that there are probably some of you in this room that are dealing with this heavy weight in your life, but you're not ready yet. You're not ready to talk to someone just yet. They're only going to be here today, and I understand, I understand that, that maybe it's just not your time. So I made sure that on the page that we have right here on the front by the notes, we've got a QR code for each of the pregnancy centers, the one in Blairsville and the one in Jasper, so that you can just fold this up and put it in your Bible or stick it in your pocket or your purse or whatever and take it with you and then you can contact them when you are ready because I promise you they will be there for you whenever you're ready. So we just wanted to make that available to you because you heard it in the story. Jesus will restore and renew in your life. That's what he does. He's in the redemption business. All of us have something that we're getting past in our life, but Jesus is all about redeeming you. The very first sermon that we have recorded from Jesus, the very first time that he actually stood in a synagogue and preached to people, we actually know what he said. And he read from the scroll of Isaiah when talking with them. And, and this, these are the words that he read. He said, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. 
He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that the captives will be released and the prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come. You see, Jesus has already taken the Lord's judgment and now he makes available to you the Lord's favor. Would you trust him? Would you just trust him? Would you just, would you just trust him? Because what could he do? What could he do next in you? You know, abortion didn't become the, quote, constitutional right until 1972 with the Roe versus Wade ruling. But prior to 72, abortions were still accessible in many states here in the United States, including in Louisiana. And in 1968, there was a young about-to-be mother who was not ready to be a mother her life was a disaster as it was, a shambles, and she found herself pregnant. And she didn't know what to do. She had a choice to make. And she considered abortion as a valid choice. Thankfully, God put in her path someone who loved her enough to tell her the truth and to encourage her not to take the easy way out, but instead carry the baby to term. But she still wasn't ready. She wasn't ready to have a child of her own. Meanwhile, there was another couple, a married couple, who were unable to have children of their own. And so this young about-to-be mother made the decision early not to abort, but instead to put that baby up for adoption. And that married couple, Jim and Shirley Dusek, adopted that baby and I'm here today because of a mom that didn't take the easy way out and I'm grateful to see amen what can he do next what could he do I'm the living testimony to tell you that he can restore and he can use even what feels like the biggest disaster in your life would you trust him would you just trust him to do what he calls you to do. Go speak to somebody out here after the service is over and let God do what only he can do because, last blank on your page, Jesus forgives and heals. Jesus forgives and heals. Praise the Lord. 